0: Hey guys, welcome back to the Freedom Flipping Podcast, we're all about building up and selling online businesses to achieve financial freedom. This is episode 6, and on today's show, I've got a great guest, Thomas Smale of feinternational.com. And FE International is a website brokerage and, and marketplace, and I've just sold a business through them, and on the next show, I should be able to say what that business is and uh, give some information, but at this point, uh, there's been no... Uh, kind of press releases done we're, we're getting that sorted but uh, exciting news it's, uh, it's all closed um, I'm ha- very happy with how it's gone and uh, the escrow payment has released and it's a, it's a good feeling so uh, looking forward to focusing on the next sites to, uh, to uh, get to the point where I can, I can do similar uh, but on today's show this was recorded about a month ago and it's a really good one. We, we talk about whether it's, a, a seller's market or a buyer's market. Uh, we, we talk about where new buyers are coming from in, in the investment world. Uh, we get into talking about multiples increasing and lots of good stuff. And I'm just going to play the episode because, uh, yeah, selling a, a business is, a interesting and, and stressful and tiring process, but it's, uh, it's been really great. And, uh, Uh, this is a good chat and i'm going to play so hear from me in a week or so and i'll be able to update you properly and i'm going to write a blog post on my personal site about this too but for now here is the chat with me and thomas cheers hey how's it going thomas
1: very good richard how are you
0: I'm good. I'm good. We're both uh, talking in the same uh, time zone, which is unusual for these podcasts and kind of chats with other entrepreneurial people.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, definitely, <laughs> obviously, in the online world, to find two people in the same time zone.
0: Yeah, yeah. Brits are, are definitely underrepresented in the uh, in the online space. It's uh, it's definitely dominated by uh, by those Americans.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> That's part of the reason why we have our main office out in in Boston now, just because of the like the large number of people in the industry who are out there.
0: Yeah. So. You and Ismail—is Ismail British as well? Uh, yeah, he is
1: actually. Yeah, and you—did you guys
0: meet at university? What's the backstory there? How did you—how uh, did you get going with uh, with, with International?
1: Yeah, so we met at university back in—we're going all the way back to 2006. Now um, we did a, a business course together for four years, um, so we were like good friends throughout university. Um, in 2010, when we were graduating, Ismail went off to work for an investment bank. Um, and I set up Effie International, um, as it is now, at least. Um, so back then, I was buying and selling websites for myself, like building out a small portfolio. Um, and then in 2010, wrote a book about selling websites, which got really popular, um, did really well in the industry. And off the back of that, lots of people started oh. contacting me saying, hey, you seem to know about this like buying and selling thing. Can you help me sell? So. At the time, I'd never really planned to set up a, a a brokerage company, but it was a very seemed like a very sensible pivot being a, a bootstrap business um, without a huge amount of cash. I could sell other people's yeah businesses for them and, and get paid. And then so we, we did that for a couple of years until 2012, continued kind of doing coaching, info products, uh, that kind of stuff. Buying and selling small sites for ourselves, launching sites. Um, and brokerage and then in 2012 Ismail joined um, and Ismail joined at the time when um, we were great on the industry side of things so we knew knew a lot about websites and online businesses Um, but from a running a business perspective and breaking into that higher-end market that would traditionally be represented by an investment bank um, I I certainly didn't have those skills and he did so it's kind of Perfect partnership in that respect. Came in with the more formal experience, like management experience. Had worked on billion-dollar IPOs in his previous role, um, and then I, I guess I brought to the table the entrepreneurial side um, and the online business knowledge. And then yeah, as a yeah. combination, that's that's worked really well. Obviously, not just the two of us; there's 23 people in the team now. So consistently yeah. grown out that that team. Um, and kind of passed our knowledge on and brought in people who are like better at us than the individual roles that we used to do.
0: Very, very impressive. Let's go back to to those early days. What was the name of that book? I wasn't aware of that.
1: Oh, it's called Killer Flipping Secrets.
0: Oh wow! And so, how did you get into online business? You're at university doing a business degree. I I did very similar. This, but I did mine back in. I'm, um, uh, I think I'm a decade older than you. I'm 37, uh, maybe nine years. Um, but back when I did a business degree, there was no mention of entrepreneurship, and you know it was two thousand. It was well, I started at ninety-seven to two thousand was uh, my undergrad, and uh, so pre-pre everything just before the obviously the dot-com crash. But I wasn't aware that people were, were building online businesses. Um, how did you get into it from 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 a business degree? So it was was it two thousand and seven that uh, you started getting into this.
1: Yeah so t- 2006 I started university. I think uh, looking back at my like history now I first got started around um, 2008 and at the time I I guess it was like most students and most business students so I was kind of always curious about business so I tried and like failed at a bunch of random things um, prior to that um, and during semester time I didn't want to get a regular job so I figured why not do something on the on the side. Um, so, on one of my internships while I was at university, I met someone who had been kind of building websites. Um, he would also been buying domain names. Mm-hmm. So I figured, oh well, why not try that? So I think I bought a domain for like a hundred dollars or whatever it was back then. Um, built a, a small website on it, grew it up, and that did quite well. I think I probably sold it for two hundred. Um, And then I consistently did that. I kind of didn't really bring in any online knowledge at the time. I was really just using my business knowledge, I guess, Um, turning 100 into 500, 500 into 1,000, and then continued from there. But my my course or my business course, I think much like um, most of the others, didn't really have any kind of grounding in entrepreneurship. There was an entrepreneurship module. I think I always found it a little bit ironic that the, <laughs> the lecturer had never actually been an entrepreneur himself, yep, but was yep. teaching people how to run a business. And that 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 entire module basically consisted of writing a business plan. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think most entrepreneurs I know now, it's all very well having a business plan, which I mean we certainly have and we do follow, but there's there's a lot more to it than than just that.
0: Yep. So that domain that you bought, that was an existing one. You you uh, someone was selling, or that was from scratch. That's that was the price back then.
1: Uh, yeah, no, it was an ex- existing one. I mean, it wasn't making anything when I bought it, and then I think I did a little bit of marketing, got it making a few dollars a month, yeah, um, and then resold it. So I was really testing tons of tons of different stuff. I didn't really have any like focus or
0: what were specific you What were you first testing it. back then? AdSense?
1: Um, it was affiliate marketing back then. Right. I found like various you know, products that you could sell, and I liked the idea of not having to build something myself and promoting someone else's um, product. I think I had an AdSense account as well. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think I've really did that well with AdSense. It was what, always the affiliate side of things. Yeah, yeah. What interest. kind of uh,
0: what kind of niche were you were you being uh, an affiliate for? Yeah, <laughs> make money online, or, or or wider than that?
1: Yeah, I think the very first one was in the the marketing space. So it was a product to help market your website, and I was just promoting it on um, marketing forums. And the site was like a very simple one that was just kind of telling people about the different options and the the, the products you can you can use. So it was very simple. Very small. I didn't really have it for very long, um, but once I'd done that a couple of times, I realised that, um, well, maybe I could do that quite consistently. Um, and I, I found over the years. Now we get into the stage where we're doing eight-figure deals. Um, a lot of the fundamentals that I learn at the lower end, say doing a hundred dollars, is very similar at the ten million dollar level. Um, there's obviously quite a lot of added complexity in there as well, but I mean the general kind of gist of it and yeah, the gen- yeah. skill set is, is very similar um, although obviously now we're on the broker side of the fence most of the time rather than the um, selling my own
0: so did you uh, build up a, a portfolio of sites uh, prior to to FE international you you had uh, some you know a good portfolio that was uh, generating some good cash flow before starting the, the business
1: yeah so I mean I, I'm always kind of like a big believer in don't try teach something until you've actually done it yourself um, so our portfolio and we would quite regularly buy sites and then build them up sell them on um now we can we still have a quite a, a large portfolio um particularly in the the SaaS space so we have a like a mid five figure mrr um SaaS business that we're building up at the, at the moment and acquired wow. in the middle of last year um and like i said much like the teaching side of things when i was just kind of teaching people how to buy and sell i feel like you can offer a much more Genuine service to people if you've actually been there and done that. There's no point giving yeah. someone advice on how to pull off a million-dollar acquisition if you've never done it yourself. Do you um, make
0: these kind of SaaS plays public? Do you blog about it, or is it uh, part of a you know private portfolio that you
1: have? Um, relatively private. This particular one we're working on um, building up a little bit. We're kind of relaunching the product slightly, um, but then once that's out there, we're going to start putting a lot more resource behind marketing, and I guess making it a little bit more public as well. Um, but previously we've run most of our portfolio relatively quietly. Yeah. I'm not really leveraging um, my contacts or anything like that. Um, always been quite conscious of potential conflicts of interest. So we don't want to kind of yeah. overlap them too much, but at the same time, leveraging the, the skills and experience that we've learned there and, and apply it to, um, firstly our own businesses and also with client businesses. Cause like I said, there's no point telling someone to do something if you haven't done it yourself. Um, and I think one of the hard things about selling a business is quite often the emotional attachment people have and just the kind of stress of going through the process. Mm. So until you've actually done that, it's quite difficult to empathize with people. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons we kind of got ahead of our competitors. Um, many years ago and have kind of continued to grow from there just because we very much practice what we preach. Um, We put our own money, my own personal money and the company money gets reinvested back into um, buying online businesses and then selling them. So we're definitely all in in the industry.
0: So how did you build, um, how did you start out building A V International? What was the hardest part? Was it getting the the inventory of sites or or getting the customers? How did you you first start out?
1: Yeah, so... The first, I mean, the, first, the very first client came through the book we had at the, the time, and he had been been through the course, um, and then from there, like to be honest, like the initial part of the business was all word of mouth. We didn't even really have a website for the first like year or so of the business. It was very much email me and I'll I'll sell it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so gradually grew from there. At the time, we were using the website Flipper, which many people might be familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, back. It's like 2010, 2011, um, early 2012. Um, And then over time, we got to the stage where we'd build up our own list of buyers, so didn't really need to use a third-party platform. Mm -hmm. Um, And now we're at the stage where we basically just advertise to our own list, uh, do outreach to relevant buyers, and then do syndicate across various other marketplaces. Um, But we're definitely not at the stage where we rely on um, marketplaces anymore for for buyer data or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and then on the seller side, it really just was a case of referrals. Um, we're still the vast majority of our businesses some form of word of mouth, mm-hmm. either a client returning, a client referring a friend, or someone reading about something we read, maybe seeing me speak at a conference or meeting me or one of the team at a conference. Um, so we've, I guess we've been very lucky in that respect. Um, I always feel that if you provide a really good service, then word of mouth kind of happens naturally. I don't think I have any secret source as to how to get more referrals. It's really just a case of like doing a good job, being honest with people, um, and doing that very consistently as well. There's no good doing one or two deals in a certain way and then screwing someone over on the third deal. You have to do it consistently over a long period of time. And that kind of builds a pretty significant moat that's very difficult to compete with
0: is it a seller's market or a buyer's market at the moment is there a shortage of, of sites available
1: i would say i think in the selling a business in general is probably always going to be a seller's market right there's a, there's a, a lot of money out there looking to acquire good and great businesses um and i think there's almost never going to be in a situation where that that cash ever runs out so as a seller uh, always in a good good position, um, particularly in the online world. There's a lot of buyers coming from a more traditional investing background, mm-hmm. whether that be uh, real estate is quite a common background we see or people who might have worked in investment banking or private equity um, and also small private equity groups and funds and venture funded firms coming into the spaces as, as buyers. So there's a lot more money than there maybe was five years ago where most of the people buying online businesses were, I guess, traditionally web-based people. Um, So from a seller perspective, there's a lot more options out there.
0: Is this pushing the price up?
1: I would say so, yeah. I mean, our multiples pretty consistently increase every year. Um, I think that's a a combination of two factors. One, us as a company, continuously improving. So working on our processes, um, building out the team more, Uh, training the team more um, and just generally building out a bigger list of of buyers. Um, And then also the industry itself is naturally growing. So there's more and more buyers entering the industry, which then has a knock-on effect because they'll uh, join our mailing list and then hopefully one day um, end up buying a business or multiple businesses as we've seen quite a few times before. Do
0: you you consider and do buyers still consider online businesses a lot more risky than traditional businesses because the kind of returns you can make are, are you know, very impressive compared to uh, the kind of more traditional multiples. You know that the ROI on buying a business, if, you know, if you can purchase a business for for two or three times um, annual net profit, then you know the ROI can be uh, you know 50 percent, uh, and you'll never you'll never see that in kind of more traditional in, uh, business acquisitions or, or or other assets. So. Um, Do you think that the kind of returns that you can get as a buyer are going to be pushed down as the multiples increase um, or are these always going to be considered more more asset a more riskier asset class?
1: I think they'll, over time, I mean, if you look at like traditional banks, it's difficult for them to lend against an online business. It does happen where there's like a lot of history and they can get, use like SBA loans or something similar. Um, from a buy perspective, more and more people over the years um, are becoming much better educated. Like we invest a lot of time into content, whether that's um, writing blog posts, speaking at conferences, or coming on podcasts such as this to kind mm-hmm. of teach people um, how to do it safely and effectively, and also profitably, which is very important. Um, so from that side of things, I definitely think buyers are becoming more and more educated, but obviously new people join the industry every single day. From a returns perspective, I think the real attractiveness of an online business that's never going to go away, regardless of what the, where the multiples may end up, is the fact that the vast majority of the time, particularly for smaller businesses, they are location independent. Whereas if you buy a physical business, like if you buy a, a restaurant, for example, regardless of how profitable that is, you still have have uh, mm-hmm. property, you have to maintain um, staff, like physically in a office or in that case in a, in a restaurant, um, equipment, which unless you're buying an e-commerce business doesn't really exist. So I think the attractiveness of the location independence is always going to be there, mm-hmm. meaning that even if multiples of online businesses surpassed offline businesses, um, it's still a pretty convincing investment opportunity, um, particularly for people uh, looking for a little bit more freedom rather than being tied in one location.
0: Yeah, what is the average uh, overall multiple? Is is that something that Centurica is tracking? Um, is it kind of around two two point five x? uh do you know off the top of your head i'd have to look that up because for, for me like why why is it not 4x or 5x because they are location independent often the owners have very little work involved um that you know the website owners uh, online business owners are very good at, at standardizing all, all the processes why valuations if it is on average say two, two and a half x why is it not three and a half or four right now
1: yeah i mean i okay answering the questions in, in order. I, I think firstly, one of the problems with industry data, if you're a third party firm, like for example, Centurica, you mentioned, it's the vast majority of time. In fact, almost all of our deals have their final sales prices confidential. Mm-hmm. And there are like various brokers in the space and quite a common tactic in the brokerage space is to overvalue a business because it makes it much easier to list sign. If someone says the business is worth 500,000 and then you value it at a million, it's likely they're going to want to list with you. So the problem with using third party data is you don't actually know what businesses are physically selling for. Right. You know what they're listing for. Yeah. yeah. Um, so our data in the lo- last 12 months, it's a really difficult question to answer specifically because it does depend on the business model. Yep. For example, SaaS businesses, um, very regularly go above three, four, even five times multiples. Mm-hmm. Whereas e-commerce and content affiliate-based businesses are more regularly in the two and a half to three and a half times range. Yeah, um, I'd say these days it's quite rare for us to see saying go much below three times on right. an, an on an annual basis. Um, with regards to valuations at the higher end and why they're not at five, I think. Firstly, in the SaaS space, five does happen reasonably regularly, uh, particularly if you're looking at the last 12 months. Um, a lot of the time it is the owner involvement. So it's not necessarily their time, but also the expertise or the reliance on them. Um, and also the fact that chances are that business doesn't have an employee base and a management team in place. So that business still needs managing. Yeah. So even if it only takes two hours a week, almost every business owner I know will actually still be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you've still got that in the back of your mind, Um, regardless how good the setup is or how automated your processes are or the services you're using, you've always still got in the back of your mind that you need to check in, make sure your server's working, make sure the ad income or whatever it might be is coming in. Um, I think aside from that, it's also just a reflection of the age of the industry there aren't a huge number of online based businesses that have been around for 10 years plus where you've got that real history there, um, to kind of justify those higher and more defensible multiples. Whereas say the majority of businesses that get sold in the industry are between two and five years old. So there is a element of risk associated with that age. Um, I, I do think multiples will continue to go up. The other consideration, um, particularly if you compare it to offline businesses is the nature of funding in the space. If you're buying an, an offline business, almost all deals will be um, financed in, in some form, either by a bank or by a, a seller. Whereas with an online business, due to the relative lack of funding options, they're almost always entirely cash deals. Yep. So as soon as people can borrow and kind of leverage against existing assets to acquire online businesses, then I think multiples really will start to increase. But at the moment, it's relatively, uh, especially compared to the offline world, Mm. relatively limited buyer pool because you are restricted to people who um, have cash. And while if we say a a relatively small deal for us, that would be $100,000, while it seems quite small in the grand scheme of selling a business. How many people do you know who have a hundred thousand dollars cash to to invest? Yep. Um, there's just really not that many, I guess, depending on the circles you hang <laughs> around in. Um, so that does mean there's a kind of quite a specific buyer pool that these businesses suit. And I think the cash rich um, are really in a very good position in the online world to pick up businesses while they are at three, four, five times, and wait for those to increase over the years.
0: Yeah, yeah very interesting is there going to be new forms of financing coming that um, actually you know uh, recognizes the fact that these are assets that that you know can be can be financed you know not traditional assets that, that would be on a balance sheet but is there new forms of finance coming through that would make um, that w- would really kind of bolster the uh, the buying ability of people that don't have 100k available?
1: Yeah, I, I definitely think so. So in the SBA space in the in the US, so small business administration loans, um, those in particular quite often can be used to acquire an online business, particularly right. if it has history. That, For example, they usually look for three years of tax returns. So that does limit the, the pool slightly. Um, but businesses like that, and if they meet that profile, can be funded with SBA loans. If you're from the U.S. and it's a a U.S. business. Um, The the, the main consideration there is the time it takes. Um, The problem with banks is that process can often take 45 to 60 days. So if your buyer sat there with cash, let's say you're looking at a a million dollar business, um, if you can offer $900,000 cash and you can close in, say, a week, you are probably going to beat the buyer who offers a million but needs to wait two months to potentially get financing. Yeah. Um, that said, we have seen some other funding options like begin to emerge, like without naming any specific companies. We've seen some that will lend against, for example, if you have a SaaS business, they'll lend against uh, your existing cash flows, which in that case would be MRR usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are also companies out there like f- debt factoring firms that will loan against um, invoices or like purchase orders. If you have an e-commerce business, right? Yep. Um, a lot of people, as well, will um, lend or like get money based on their existing business they have, if they already have one. So, for example, if you have an established company, you could probably get a line of credit um, for that business, and then use that to acquire a business elsewhere. Um, and that can often be be quicker, particularly if you've got a like a good history with.
0: And that with line of bank. that line of credit would be against what's on the balance sheet.
1: Uh, I mean, it really depends on on the bank. Right, uh, most in my experience will look at uh, like years of accounts. Uh, also depends on like your lending history. Yeah. Uh, with the bank, um, I mean, aside from that, I think more and more options will come come up and like come through. And I think the first bank to master it or start to really online so really understand yeah online businesses is going to be in a pretty like good position and i think when that does happen or if it happens which i'd assume would be in the next five years i think the business really does have a very long way to grow yeah. because lack of funding or lack of funding options is certainly something that keeps the buyer pool where it is yeah i mean that said the buyer pool is still way more buyers out there much more demand than um sellers can possibly fill so when that does happen unless the supply suddenly catches up that's going to mean multiples increasing um but to add to that i mean obviously as multiples increase that that brings more and more sellers into the industry there are lots of people who if you go back four years weren't interested in selling at two times but may now be interested in selling at three times yeah um and then if we maybe looks forward to three or four years, if those average multiples hit four or maybe even five times, then there's probably even more people who think, Oh, actually, that is a, a worthwhile multiple. I'm going to, I'm going to cash out. Yeah. So definitely some opportunities in, in that respect, but I mean, it's certainly not going to happen overnight. Uh, the world of banking is generally quite, quite slow. Um, but when it does catch up, probably be a smaller bank initially I would expect. Um, I think there's going to be some really interesting opportunities in lots of different spaces.
0: What type of sites do you see selling the fastest? What are the most attractive to your, your current buyers? If, if someone is new to, to online business, has, has got some, you know, put up a skill set in SEO or, um, or pay traffic or, or conversion and is looking to, to build up their first online asset with the intention of selling, what would be a good one to, to choose right now?
1: Yeah, so I mean, my answer to that question is always base it on your skill set. Don't try and build around a specific trend, whether that's a niche or a business model. There'd be no point in me saying, oh, yeah, you should build a, a SaaS business if you're a great writer and you're great at um, outreach and link building, where you should definitely build a content based business. Yeah. If you're a developer, you should probably build a SaaS business. Um, if you have experience in retail and a design background, then maybe you should start an e-commerce business. Um, so I always think whether you're, a, I guess, a, a buyer or a builder, focus on like what you're good at um, and then look to higher skills that you're not so good at um, around you. But I think that's always the best advice. Don't get attracted by higher multiples and or seemingly higher multiples and think, well, I'm going to hire a developer to build me a SaaS product because um, it may well be easier and more fruitful just to build yeah. that yourself that you are really good at.
0: Yeah, that's really good advice. That's great. So what are your, your plans with, with Effie international going forward? And I, I actually thought before um, this interview, like what does Effie actually uh, stand for? I wanted to see, you know, what the, what your, your company name is and uh, true, true to your, your roots is actually flipping enterprises, right?
1: Yeah. So that was our <laughs> original company name back when we, well, as it was like flipped sites and, um, and that's, that's really where we started. And then we rebranded um, about five years ago now, as we started um, brokering more uh, and the international element is the fact we have a very international client base and offices in three different countries. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're very much not in the, the world of flipping anymore. Yeah, um, we're very much in the world of uh, kind of investment banking, M&A advisory. Uh, so that's kind of how the, the name and company has developed over time.
0: Uh, and what's your, your plan going forward in the next three to five years?
1: So, a big focus for us this year is continuing to build out our team, particularly in um, Boston and Southeast Asia, um, grow that out, uh, continue to increase the size of deals we're doing. Um, so, we're gradually breaking into that eight figure space um, where there's like quite a big gap of not a huge number of good advisors, which is an opportunity we spotted. Uh, years ago, in the space for selling, say, hundred thousand dollar businesses, mm-hmm. um, we've mastered that. Market leaders in that space moved up to the million dollar level, mastered that space. Now, moving up to that ten million dollar level, if you look at that as the next level up, that is. Yeah. Um, consistently getting into the the eight figure space um, and building out a team that can deal with firstly deals at that level, um, and also teams and people who can deal with uh, smaller deals as well. Um, and then over time we'll continue building out our own portfolio of sites because like I said much earlier, I always like the idea of actually being involved in the industry, investing your own money. If you're going to be advising people to do it it themselves. Um, so there could be some interesting opportunities there as the the company grows. Um, and then our ultimate goal is to hit a billion dollars in total transactions. Yeah. At the moment, we're around 75 million. So a little way to go, but kind of <laughs> doubling each year at the moment. So hopefully we'll get there quite quickly.
0: Wow, amazing. What's the, Do you have a minimum listing size right now?
1: Um, not, not really. We have a minimum fee of $5,000 right, uh, with a usual fee of 15%. So that generally means sites around $30,000 will come in at that level. Yeah. But we do have some clients with smaller sites who choose to list because let's say it's a $20,000 site paying us $5,000 um, we might get you more than you're going to get trying to sell it yourself or on one of the smaller market- sorry, marketplaces yep. um, or or brokerages and obviously you don't have to spend as much time on it if we do it so uh, no, no minimum size but yep. I'd say most people see about $20,000 as the minimum with the $5,000 minimum fee.
0: And what's the largest or the highest profile that you're able to, to, to say that that's happened? Have you, have you, have done eight, uh, uh, figure deals and, uh, you've done a number of those.
1: Yeah. The challenge with that end of the market is they are very confidential. So yes. deals, <laughs> deals in the eight figure range, but yep. the, the prices and even like the listing prices are usually undisclosed. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's where we are at the moment and that's yep. the space where yeah, yeah. continuing to grow into.
0: Yeah. I mean, you, you helped with the acquisition, uh, lead page acquisition of drip. That was, uh, obviously a, a very high profile one that you you were very obviously able to, and proud to say, yeah, so that, no, that was, a, that was a big win.
1: Yeah. Big, big high profile deal. Um, I mean, obviously a lot of the terms were quite confidential there. Yep. Um, but it's definitely kind of a demonstration of what Yeah. the team can do and kind of are kind of trust and kind of market leadership in the, the SaaS space specifically yeah uh, so kind of looking to capitalize on that uh this year with more and more deals good stuff where's the best
0: place for people to reach out to you personally
1: uh, you can always reach out to me on twitter so at thomas mail there um my e- direct email is thomas at fe international.com um i'll always reply back to any emails like regardless of what question you have or regardless of how big or small your business is, feel free to drop me an email. i would love to talk about uh, the online world. Great stuff.
0: And uh, yeah, we're, we're an hour and a half away by train, so we should definitely meet up as well.
1: <laughs> yeah, awesome. I'd absolutely love to. So, um, Great stuff. Thanks so much for having me on and hopefully that was all helpful. That
0: was brilliant. Cheers, Thomas. Thanks, then. Great. Thank you. Okay, guys. Hope you enjoyed that episode. The URL will be at richardpatey.com forward slash fe international. Uh, be great to get some comments going on the blog. I've been forgetting to push people back to my personal site, which is, uh, well, it's kind of the the whole reason of using uh, podcasting as a marketing channel. So I'm getting better at that. Something else I'm going to get better at is, uh, asking you guys to uh, subscribe wherever you uh, are hearing this episode, whether it's on SoundCloud or iTunes uh, or Stitcher, where I've just uh, submitted the feed. And I've actually just swapped over from. Uh, being an, an iPhone user right from 2007, right from the iPhone 3G uh, to Android, I swapped to Android. Never used an Android f- phone before, and goddamn, it's so much better. <laughs> I've been limiting myself so much, and I'm now using Stitcher. And um, the podcast app on on iOS has just been so laggy and so buggy and pissing me off uh, for such a long time uh, that I've uh, I'm very happy with the transition. However, the the biggest uh, you know, podcast uh, marketplace is still iTunes. It's the most powerful. It can drive the most traffic. So, for all you iOS guys out there, uh, and I, I still, you know, I still got an iPad. Still, still using iOS, but uh, it's good to be on a different ecosystem. Anyway, rambling again, as you will often find me, often catch me doing. Um, but yes, if you are uh, listening through iTunes, super helpful if you haven't already to hit subscribe, and then in the web interface because I don't think I've, I've never seen how you can do it on the actual iPhone but if you could through the web interface uh, leave a review or at least just hit five stars that would be helpful it will help you know with the algorithm uh, it will help with visibility getting more people into the world of freedom flipping to achieve financial freedom did you see what I did there alright cheers guys and speak to you soon <music>